Numbers chapter 12 this, this morning, and uh, I come to you uh, having studied this, this text this week and uh, you know, just uh, want to bear testimony to the fact that I think God not only works in the lives of uh, members of the church, he also looks, he works in the lives of a member who also happens to be a pastor of the church um, as we work through uh, texts like Numbers chapter 12. We come to this chapter, we come to another instance of complaining. Okay, honestly, when I chose this series, I didn't think, oh, okay, we've got a lot of complaining, I know, we'll go to numbers. Um, uh, However, I think there'll be something very important for us as an assembly to hear today. Last week, we saw the children of Israel begin complaining about God's provision for them. It was so bad, the text says, that they couldn't even stand to look at what God had provided for them, the manna. They hated it. They hated the look uh, of it. That's when, in Numbers 11, God miraculously provided uh, for the Israelite people, but his provision also became his punishment. Uh, Just reflecting on that this week, you know, sometimes when God gives us what we really, really want, it destroys us. And that's what happens in Numbers 11 here. God gave the children of Israel enough quail for an entire month, but those who were greedy and complained and who were craving after it, they didn't last a month. As a matter of fact, the text says, while they were eating it, while they were chewing it, while it was between their teeth, God sent a great plague and wiped them out. And so all those on the outskirts of the camp who craved this meat died. We get to Numbers chapter 12, Uh, The scene involves some people uh, who are much closer to the heart or the center of the Israelite people. So instead of Moses hearing it from the riffraff who are out on the outskirts of the camp, now he feels it from his brother and sister. You know, it's one thing to have the mixed multitude uh, not be with you. It's another thing if it's your own family. So uh, in this text, uh, we'll, we'll learn more about that. The, the amazing story, Numbers chapter 12, occurs in two major acts. Each one, I think, uh, ends with God deciding to do something. Okay, so my sermon outline this morning be very simple. Just two acts, act one, act two. Both acts have three parts to them. They both end with God doing something. So we'll get right into act number one, and we'll notice first the complaint in verses one and two. Look in your Bible at verse one. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. We come to this passage, we come to sibling rivalry. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. But this isn't just like any normal sibling rivalry. This dispute involved not only brothers and sisters, but it involved the most preeminent leaders in the people of Israel during this day. Say, well, why would you put Moses, Aaron, and Miriam there? I do because Micah, the author 
of Scripture later on in Micah 6, 4 does that. You don't need to turn there, but listen to what Micah says. He says, For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So Micah the prophet, from the perspective of God, says, God God says, I sent you a gift. I sent you three leaders to help you come out of Egypt. And so what we're going to see here in this complaint is a complaint that comes from inside. It comes from the family. It comes from prominent leaders of the children of Israel. This is like subordination or gossip that comes against a leader from his administrative staff. It's not just like, you know, one part or portion of the group of the nation where this is, these, this is when insiders are going rogue, okay? So, um, At first glance, we see verses 1 and 2. It seems that the complaint comes evenly from two sources, but I want to suggest that there is a primary instigator here, and you may have never thought of this, you may have never seen this, but I think that there is one primary complainer in this text, and that person is a woman by the name of Miriam. Say, well, Pastor Brent, it says Miriam and Aaron. You better prove to me why you think it's just Miriam. I say, okay, let me, let me just do that. I want to answer a few questions about Miriam and her role here. First, how do I think that she's the primary instigator? I've got a few clues in this passage that make me think that. First of all, if you're reading in your Bible, even in your English Bible, you see it right at the beginning. The very first word here is Miriam. Miriam is listed in the biblical text, in the Hebrew text, before Aaron, and I just want to point out to you that's extremely odd. Okay. If you're reading lists like this and you see a man and a woman listed side by side, in every other occasion I could find, it was always the male and then the female. The male and then the female. Here, Miriam's name is listed first, but the case does not rest there. What is also interesting, this is what's hard for you to see in your English Bible, is that the the verb spoke, see, you can see that in your Bible, right? Numbers 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against. That verb is, uh, uh, is also in an odd form. The form of that verb is a it's a singular, a third person, feminine, singular verb. Key emphasis on feminine. You say, man, this is like English class. What are you doing here? Feminine singular term. So if there are no subjects given this text, this is how you translate it. And she spoke. And she spoke. Okay. Uh, now, because there are two subjects listed, it's, it's really hard to reduplicate in English. It might be something like, and Miriam, parenthesis, and Aaron, end of parenthesis, spoke against Moses. I think later we learned that maybe Aaron is doing a little bit more than just listening to the complaint of Aaron, uh, Miriam. Maybe he responds or li- he adds to it in some way or another, but uh, it seems that Miriam is the primary complainer in this text. She's complaining against her brother uh, Aaron. You say, is there anything else you could add to that? I said, there's one other thing I would add, and that's later on, who gets it? Okay, now I haven't read the whole text. Who receives punishment from God. Aaron doesn't get anything. Okay? Now, that may be due in some case you know, to the fact that he's the high priest of Israel. 
And the sort of thing that Miriam would get would permanently disqualify him. They're, they're, you could reason that way as well. But it seems that Aaron gets away without getting any punishment, but Miriam is going to get punished by God in this text. So, in my opinion, men and women, Miriam is the primary complainer in this text. Now, I want to ask one more question about this scene, just so it becomes more vivid for us. Okay, so we read it. Miriam and Aaron there, I think Miriam is primarily complaining against Moses. Well, the second question I want to answer is why? Why does Miriam turn on her brother Moses? Okay, yeah, sure, the riffraff was just complaining about him, but now Miriam's doing it. Why? Uh, earlier, Miriam had cared for him in gracious ways. You remember the story? Remember the story when, when Moses was a little baby? In a basket? You remember that? Who cared for him? Miriam. I mean, other times and places she supports him and helps him, so why does she turn on him here? And I think you could speculate about this for, uh, for a, a lot of time, but it seems that the text helps us here. The, the complaint is actually twofold. I mean, if you're using your Bible, in verse 1, at the end of that verse, we see the first reason she complains is because M Moses had married a Cushite woman. See that in your Bible? Okay, so the scriptures tell us that's why she begins complaining, because he married a Cushite woman. Now, we're not given the name of the woman Moses marries here, just that she's a Cushite. And uh, there's all kinds of theories about this. I think this might be Zephorah, the, uh, the wife of Moses that he already had, okay? Uh, and there are reasons to think that. Uh, the term Cushite is used synonymously of Midian, and we know Zephorah is from Midian. It may be that this is Zephorah. He had been married to her before, but she's been gone for a while, and Jethro, her father, just brought her back to Moses. And in Exodus. So this could be Zipporah or some other woman, but um, as you look at this challenge from Miriam, the way that it's worded, I think, implies that Miriam is claiming that this woman is an illegitimate wife for Moses. So she begins complaining because he married a Cushite woman. She's illegitimate for Moses because of, I think, because of her ethnicity. I think that's what Miriam is at least strongly hinting at here with, with Aaron. Now, there was some marrying between ethnicities during this time, but it would be highly unusual for a leader of Israel, given all the distinctives that were to be true of them during this time, it would be unusual for a leader to be this. So Miriam is seeking, I think, to discredit Moses's unnamed wife, but it doesn't stop there. If you see her criticism, it continues in verse 2, and uh, the biblical author here tells us exactly what uh, her problem is. Not only has he married a Cushite woman, look down in your Bible, verse 2, there are two questions here that give voice to their complaint. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? I think it's really when you get to that second question, you begin to understand what's really going on in the heart of Miriam and or Moses here. I think Miriam is jealous. 
Her and Aaron are prophets and prophetesses as well. God has spoken and revealed himself to them as well in that second question. Has he not also spoken to us also? I think reveals her to be very jealous. There's another passage, I think, that will help us perhaps fill in the, uh, fill in the you know, connect the dots here a little bit. Go back to Exodus 15 for a moment. And I want to consider Miriam's ministry there. Go back to Exodus 15. And I want to read a few verses there. If you know your Old Testament scripture well, you know in Exodus 14 you have a major event. You have the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea where God, God uh, provides for the children of Israel and helps them, Exodus 14. But then in Exodus 15, Moses responds by leading the people in a song of praise to God. I want you to see this. Exodus 15, verse 1. We'll read a portion of it. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. That's the Egyptians, right? The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He's delivered us. As a people, this is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. We'll stop there in singing, or I guess we're not singing, but in reading the song of Moses. However, Moses leads Israel in the song, and I want you to see what happens down in verse 20. This is why I really bring you here. Verse 20. Then Miriam, okay, our ears perk up. This is a person who's a complainer. Then Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. What Miriam does, she leads the women out to sing. She's leading them in song, and the way the scriptural author puts this together, she closes out the song that Moses began earlier with the same words. Okay, what I, what I want you to see here is that earlier on in their wilderness wanderings, as a prophetess and an older sister of Moses, Miriam had a prominent role in leading the women of Israel. Soon after this, however, Moses' wife appears. In my opinion, Miriam is jealous. Formerly, she had been the first lady of Israel. Now, her role is diminished. Go back to Numbers chapter 12. Miriam complains, speaks out against Moses. He's married a Cushite woman. Hasn't the Lord also spoken through us? Perhaps Miriam and Aaron didn't think that this was a big deal. Their complaining, from my perspective, had occurred in, the pre in, in just the presence of those two. I don't have any other indications in the text to be broader than this. Perhaps she didn't think that this was 
a problem. It was a private conversation between two people, brother and sister, but the text ends by saying, but God heard it. He heard it. So I was reading through this text, this is a point of application for me as a, as a man, is uh, the need uh, or the, the concern that I should have as a leader in our home not to be a voice of criticism and complaining, even when in the privacy of speaking to just my wife. I think there's a, a word of warning here for us. And I think that as a, as a man, as a dad, as a husband, I can voice issues and struggles to my wife, but I think I need to be careful to do so in such a way that is constructive. If I'm struggling with a critical spirit towards someone in the assembly or someone else, I think what God has been revealing to me is that I need to share it with my wife in, in a constructive way, maybe in generalities, and say, hey, would you pray for me? In my heart, I feel very critical, and I, I am so ready to complain against someone who I feel is doing a disservice to me. Would you pray for me? I don't want my wife, my family, to learn a critical spirit of complaining, even if it's just in a private moment. Here, Miriam and Aaron are alone, brother and sister, yet God hears it, and he's going to hold them accountable. So you see the complaint, verses 1 and 2. But then you see an explanation in verse 3. Look down in your Bible, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Of course, the main point of emphasis here is that Moses is very meek. It just, we have to figure out what that word means. The word meek could be translated low, humble, or gentle. You see, I think the point that uh, the, the author is, is making here is that Moses submitted his own personal agenda and his well-being to the care of God. Moses does not retaliate in harshness or rashness. We're not, I'm not even sure if he yet knows about this, what's going on. But this explanatory note is, is helpful. Moses is resting in the providence of God at this point. What a great leader of the people. Now Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are in the face of the earth. This is a great quality for us as followers of Jesus Christ and as leaders, spiritual leaders. It's not, this is actually not a character quality that our culture values. Unfortunately, you know, we live when, in a charged political environment, right? When True leaders are strong. If, if they have dirt on you, find something on them or create it and give it back, right? But men and women, our standard is not our political leaders. Our standard is Scripture. If you find your heart wanting to follow that sort of leader, you need to turn off your TV and you need to start reading your Bible. And you need to find leaders like Moses and Paul the Apostle later and Jesus, Jesus Christ. As we come to this text, you have this explanatory note on Moses. 
this situation, however, you've got Miriam and Aaron complaining. You've got a note about how meek and kind Moses is, but then that draws God's response, verses 4 through 9. So look there in your Bible, in this Act 1, you'll see God responds to close out the, the, the Act. Verse 4, and suddenly, suddenly, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam. Notice the order, Aaron, Miriam, for Miriam, Aaron. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, for he is faithful in all of my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? End quote. Comment. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. So earlier, Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses. Now God calls them out. Uses, I think, the same verb in verse 9 as earlier. They spoke against him, verse 1. And he recalls, he knows, they spoke against him, verse 9. The response of God here comes quickly or suddenly. And although Moses was meek, perhaps meek and humble enough to submit to this unprovoked and hurtful attack from his brother and sister, God is not going to let it go. God's response starts with an important explanation here, and it's it's pretty easy to understand. God says, you know, when I speak to prophets, I normally speak in visions and dreams. I think the only distinction between those two prophetic things of the Old Testament would be one occurs while you're sleeping, one while you're awake, visions and dreams. But with Moses, God says, that's not how I did it. That's not how I do it. He sees me face to face. He's able to behold my form. And then God asks a logical question. If I have revealed myself specially to Moses and no one like him before, don't you think you should be careful? And what you say about him. After finishing these words, I want to point your attention to verse 9. There's something that very significantly occurs in verse 9. I mean, not only does God see everything that happens, the text says, and his anger was kindled, and, and here's an important verb, and he departs from there. So as a sign of judgment, the Shekinah glory of God that hovered over the tabernacle goes away. Okay, now, this is a very bad sign. Okay, we don't have the end of the story yet. I don't want you to read ahead. But this is a very bad sign when God departs. It's not only going to be bad for Miriam and Aaron, it's going to be bad for all Israel unless something happens here. And so that's act one, complaint, explanation, and God's response. He leaves. That leads into a second act, verses 10 through 16, and it all starts in verse 10. Look in your Bible there. It says, When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, 
and Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Here, the text portrays a judgment that comes down on Miriam in a very dramatic way. It's stated twice, okay? God does it, it happens, she becomes leprous, and then Aaron looks over and he sees, wow, she's leprous. Okay, makes a dramatic point here in the text. And so this would leave her helpless and unclean. This is a disastrous thing for her. It would mean isolation. It would mean a a deadening. It would mean a decay. Eventually, uh, as I said, death itself. Okay, so you have this punishment comes in verse 10. That leads to a, a lot of intercession in verses 11 through 13. Look down at verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Aaron understands how significant leprosy is. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her. Please. Here the intercession of verses 11 through 13 starts with Aaron, her brother. And... Aaron, who I think was complicit in the crime, uh, responds here, I think, nobly. Um, His response I would characterize in two ways. Uh, These are two simple ways to understand it. First, I think he finally gets it. I think Aaron understands the significance of what has happened. If you look down at Aaron's intercession in verse 11 there, you notice how it starts. He says, Oh my Lord, Uh, do not punish us. And I ask you, who is he addressing there? Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. He's addressing Moses. That's why most Bibles, it's a small L. Okay? What a significant shift for Aaron. Just previously, privately, he was either listening to or jumping in and responding in some way, criticizing Moses. Now he calls him his Lord, and he understands that Moses might have power to punish him. So he finally gets it. Moses is the leader that God has instituted for the people of Israel during this time. The second way I describe Aaron's response is he not only finally gets it, he owns it. He owns it. Notice uh, what he acknowledges before he asks Moses to intercede for him. He says, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Okay, and there's a point for us here, right? There's a very good observation. Although Aaron previously, I think, was a spiritual coward. He was cowardly. This wouldn't be the only time. There are other times when Aaron, the high priest of Israel, is a coward to say something to stop something. I think of the golden calf incident, if you know that story in your Old Testament scriptures. But although Aaron is a coward, and perhaps also a complainer, after he's confronted, he responds by acknowledging his sin. We have done foolishly. We have sinned. Okay? He owns this sin. New Covenant believers, I think, should also respond in much the same way as Aaron. Much the same way. After confronted by our sin, we, we read about this in Galatians, after confrontation like you know, Paul and Peter, after confronted by our sin, I think we need to own it. 
own it, acknowledge our sin. Now, one difference, of course, for us is we, we have intercession. We, we can go right to Jesus Christ ourselves. We don't have to go through Moses. Go through Moses. But I, I still think there's some things to learn from Aaron here. That leads Moses himself to intercede for Miriam. And I think we can learn something from Moses. There are these characters in the story. Remember Paul said, learn from the example of Israel. We can learn from Miriam, we can learn from Aaron, and we can also learn from Moses. What a powerful response here from Moses. He's so gracious. He does not preach to them. By this point, Moses knows exactly what they did. God had revealed it. He does not preach to them. He does not ignore them in piety. He does not retaliate. Instead, he intercedes for them. I think this is clearly important for any minister uh, of Jesus Christ as well. Those of us who minister to others spiritually. For as the way I understand Christian ministry is that Christianity requires a death from us. Not physical death. Well, the death that was required was Jesus Christ's death. But from us, it requires a death to self a death to self-glory and self-goals. Moses' meekness and his grace when he was wronged should guide us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is a godly standard. This is a godly leader. I love his response here. That leads to one final response from God. Look at verse 14. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. They're right then at that point on the brink of the promised land, ready to send out some spies. love how R.K. Harrison describes God's response here. He wrote, Despite the earnest pleas of Moses, God was unwilling to pardon Miriam's behavior lightly because by rebelling against Moses, she had committed the serious offense of questioning God's judgment and his authority. I'm sure these seven days for Miriam would uh, provide her much time for contemplation, consideration of that private conversation she had had with her brother. Perhaps she would uh, think uh, to the reason why. why. Why was I complaining? Perhaps the true nature of her heart came out. I, I hope and pray that she did repent, but God is gracious to her, and he restores her, and he gives her a second chance. And so men and women, as we close, I want us to learn from Israel. As I see it, there are two positive examples in this text. All positive. Moses and God. And there are two negative examples. Miriam and Aaron. I think the two positive examples act as a foil to emphasize and accent the sinister nature of Miriam. 
and Aaron. Moses is humble, resting, gracious. Moses is God. Our God is aware, just, and powerful. Aaron is weak and cowardness, resulting in silence. But Miriam, the, the villain of this story, Miriam's selfishness and pride lead her to complain and to question God. I trust as we go through this story, we think about our own lives, that we could truly just examine, just examine our own hearts. Is there someone here or someone at your workplace or someone in your family that you're often critical of, that you often say things under your breath about? You're skeptical about them. Perhaps you feel that you've been wronged, or there's something, there, there's, there's just something that they did or said. You know, in pastoral ministry, from time to time, I get to hear people complain. I, I hear from this mouth right here, I hear others as well. And oftentimes, one of the things I'm learning in pastoral ministry, when I, when I hear people complaining about someone else or something that's going on, there's something usually that's at the root or surface beneath that. A lot of times, they'll be complaining about someone who was given a certain ministry in the assembly to use their gifts in the body. And when you really dig down, if we could dig down into the recesses of their heart, you would see that they're jealous. They're jealous that they weren't considered for such and such a ministry or that they weren't put in that sort of position. Men and women, if we really dig down into our heart, this is a story that's relevant not just for Miriam and Aaron in the time in which they lived. It is relevant for us as well. Relevant for us as well. So consider your own heart. If you're often critical of someone, consider your heart. Confess it as sin and ask God for grace and strength to love them like Moses does here. Let's pray together. I want to start our prayer off with a moment of quiet reflection. Perhaps you need to confess a critical spirit, jealousy, pride. Perhaps you've been a bad example for your family. Your complaining heart has produced words that teach your spouse, your friend, your children, your parents, teaches them about how to complain. Let's confess that to the Lord now. Father, I'm thankful for these stories. These stories that your Spirit 
led men to write. True stories reflect critical spirits, critical hearts and complaining from yesteryear among the leaders of Israel. But Father, when we consider the inventory of our own hearts, perhaps we've been like Miriam before. We thought it was no big deal. It's in a private conversation between two people. I can vent. I can be critical. Lord, the truth is we're being critical about your provision and your will and your plan for our lives. You ordained and set those leaders in our lives. You ordained and orchestrated that event. Father, help us not be critical, but help us to be meek, lowly, humble of heart, and resting in your sovereign goodness, knowing that you hear and that you have ability to correct any situation we're in. Lord, we pray we had learned from this text and apply it to our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.